0: May be seated. Our unison scripture reading this week is taken from the book of Mark, chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. You'll recall the last two weeks we've looked at the parable of the prodigal son. And as we've done that, we've seen first how the gospel applies to those who are lost in the far country, those who have wandered far, far, far from Jesus. Then we saw how the gospel applies to those who are lost, even though they are very close. Those who stay around Jesus but don't truly know his love. This week we'll see that there is also a sense in which those who are Jesus' disciples those who are walking with him, those who sit under his teaching, sometimes also fail to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. Let's read these words together from Mark 10, beginning in verse 13. It's printed in your bulletin. And as we read them, let us bear in mind that this is the very word of God. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, please, please, please open our eyes this morning. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to love the things that you love. Help us to see Jesus more clearly and to serve him more completely with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Make us like him through the transforming power of your word. We ask it even now in Christ's matchless name. Amen. You know, everybody kind of likes a story about kids, right? You know, kids are cute and they're they're sweet, and you you get a story about kids. They they can be all kinds of stories. Sometimes they're funny stories about kids and the crazy things they say. Uh, sometimes kids do stuff, and you're like, oh my goodness, that's just that's just amazing. Funny stories, nice stories, sweet stories. There's all kinds of stories about kids that that are great stories to tell. And what we see here is a story about kids, but it's it's not just a cute story. It's not just a sweet story. It is a story that gives us some very important lessons. I want to jump right in and, and and look at a couple of those. First of all, it's going to teach us what the church is to believe and do regarding children. And then secondly, we'll get to it a little bit later, it, it's going to teach us that in light of what we are to believe and do about children it's going to teach us about the gospel and about the church as a whole we'll get to that in a minute but first let's look at what the church is to believe and do regarding children we see that there are people here in verse 13 and they were they were bringing their children to him that is to jesus that he might touch them now now, when we say children, that can be all kinds of things. I know uh, for some of us we think children and, and what comes to mind is a little baby. For others, uh, we think children, and it, it might be even adults, right? Many of us have adult children here. And so so children can be a really broad range. But what is being talked about here and what we see in this passage ultimately is is small children specifically. We know that, first of all, because Ultimately, Jesus takes them into his lap, which wouldn't work out too well if we're talking about very large children. But even more specifically, because in the book of Luke, as Luke gives his account of this same story, he specifically uses a different word. He uses a word that means infants. says that they brought even infants to him. He says in Luke 18.15, And so we know that even little babies being brought to Jesus by their parents. Why were they doing this? Well, the text tells us that they brought these babies to Jesus, these children, that he might touch them. The idea is that he might, might lay his hand upon them, that he might bless them, that his blessing might be poured out upon them through his hands. Remember which hands we are talking about here. These are the hands of Jesus. The very hands of Jesus, the hands that healed the sick, the hands that restored sight to the blind, the hands that stilled the raging seas, the hands that raised the dead these aren't just any hands that they are looking for a touch from they're the very hands of God and so they bring their children to Jesus that his blessing might be conveyed upon their children we all want what is best for our children there's, there's no doubt about that We want for things to go well for our children. We want their lives to to not have the turmoil and the pain that we know is coming. We want to shield them from that in any way. And what better way could they have than to say, okay, we will bring him to Jesus, bring these children to Jesus, that he might touch them, that he might bless them, pour out his blessing upon these children. So this is what is in the mind of these parents as they come. They come bringing their children. But they hit a brick wall. Because we're told in verse 13 that as they came that Jesus might touch them, the disciples rebuked them. Now, rebuke is a strong word. It's not a mild thing. It doesn't say the the disciples discouraged them or The disciples suggested that maybe they could find a better time. No, the disciples rebuked them. That's that's the verb that's used of like Jesus rebuked an unclean spirit. it's, It's a strong word. It is impactful. The disciples rebuked them. They said, you are wrong to do this. Now, what was their concern? Why would this be wrong? Why would it be wrong for adults to bring their children to Jesus for a touch? Well, we certainly don't have it spelled out to us here, but we can assume that perhaps the disciples were convinced that Jesus had more important things to do. He had more important things to do. You see, he was the Messiah. He couldn't be tied up trifling with these little kids. These little kids who, who wouldn't understand what's going on and frankly wouldn't even remember it later. Jesus couldn't be bothered with this. And so the disciples took it upon themselves to protect him from this nuisance, from this annoyance. Jesus, don't worry about the kids. We'll take care of this. I hope that that's not ever our attitude here. I hope that we never see children as an annoyance or a nuisance. You know, in, in that day, I think childhood was, was often seen as kind of a, a necessary evil. You know, they, they had to go through the trouble of being children before they could become useful adults. You know, but, but childhood was not really something to be esteemed in. In our world, I think we, we do esteem childhood maybe sometimes too much, actually. You know, our whole lives sometimes are wrapped around our children in this culture, but, but sometimes we react against that, don't we? And we just say, boy, these, these kids, they're just such an annoyance." It's so wonderful for me to stand up here and to look out and see children's faces in this sanctuary, to see families bringing their children here to worship today. I, I, I am so pleased that that is the case. It has not always been the case. There was there was a time here at Calvary when when I first got here, I, I remember we had two services, we had more people, um, but, but during the first service, people often would come and drop their children off during Sunday school, which was going on at the same time. And then they'd come to worship, and then everybody'd have a donut and leave and go home, and children would never come into the sanctuary. They would never worship. And, And oftentimes, they'd graduate from high school and kind of disappear, and we'd say, well, why Why are all of our graduates not coming to church? The reality is, they never had. They had gone off to Sunday school while we did the important adult thing down here, going to church. But see, we must not see it that way. Church, worship, corporate worship, is something for the whole family. Now, that might mean that down the pew from you is somebody who's got a little child that they've brought and, and they're kind of fidgeting a little bit and kind of making noise. And my personal worship experience is, is not as lofty as I would have liked, but we must take the long view. We must see the long-term benefit and see how it is good for children to be in worship, learning how to worship, seeing how we worship, observing as the word is preached, as the hymns are sung, as the prayers are prayed, as the sacraments are taken part in, the Lord's Supper and baptism. It is so valuable for children to be a part of the worship community. And so we should not see them as a nuisance, but we should be pleased that they are in our midst parents bring your children bring your children let them see how we worship even if they are not worshiping themselves and if they're not perfectly quiet and still then let that be an opportunity for the rest of us to show grace to show grace to not shake our head and sigh audibly but rather show grace for we once were there as well there are other ways that we can hinder children too we, we can hinder them by by not teaching them the truth of the gospel by not by not exposing them to it, by not modeling the importance of studying the word of God of going to church of going to Bible studies and Sunday school, not being part of a church family, if we don't do those things, we are hindering children. And Jesus says, do not hinder them. Let them come to me. For to such belongs the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus here, we are told when he saw this, what they were doing, he was indignant. Verse 14 says, again, a strong word, isn't it? Doesn't say he's a little Little put off about it. It doesn't say he's disappointed in what the disciples did. He was indignant. You know, it's possible. We we think of Jesus, I think, in terms of you know, Jesus meek and mild, you know, gentle Jesus. But he was indignant. It's not uh, beyond the realm of possibility that Jesus raised his voice at this point. You know, that he says, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for of such belongs the kingdom of God. It's familiar language. Where else have we heard Jesus speak like this? He spoke of, to such belongs the kingdom of God. It's in the Beatitudes, right? In Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about that, that younger brother, that prodigal son who had returned and came, came back to his father and his plan was to say, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And we spoke about how when he says against heaven, that's, that's just a, a, a phrase that was used to say against God because they didn't want to say the word God. So so he would say against heaven, but it meant against God. And so it is when we see the kingdom of heaven. We are talking about the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in another voice he says of these children, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. He is talking about the same thing. And throughout the Beatitudes we see we see that he kind of turns things on, on their head, doesn't he? he? He takes people who we don't really normally consider to be blessed and calls them blessed, and he kind of does that again here as well because, like I said, children were not seen of being of value. They were not seen as being important. They certainly weren't the ones who the disciples would have considered to be pointed to as an example as to such belongs the kingdom of, god but jesus said that was the case and he took them in his arms and he blessed them he held them to his breast he hugged them he he held them gently tenderly lovingly it's reminiscent of isaiah 40 Verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This is how Jesus responded to the children. And if we are followers of Jesus... And it is how we must respond to children as well. We must have this same mindset. Francis Church had put it this way. He said, why should the church not receive into her bosom those who Christ received into his? And so there are implications. First, children must be a priority. Children aren't just some necessary thing that we need to figure out what we're doing with while we go on with the real churching business. Children are a priority. We must be focused on them. And not just as some means of like, well, we have to have a real good children's program so we can attract people from the community so that we can grow and be bigger. No, because the children who are here right now are important. They're a priority. Jesus says so. And so we must treat them as such. We we right now have, have sadly over the last few years seen our numbers dwindle and as a result we've we've had to make some changes and so we don't have near the programming that we once had for children we don't have near the the, the, the different activities that we once had uh, we need to do everything we can to change that we need to do everything we can to change that it's been a few years since we've had a vacation bible school in the summer It's been a while since we've had it's been a year now since we had a, a a youth group active with a youth director. Now I'm not saying we have to have each and every one of those things, but but they are worthwhile goals, things that we should strive towards, things that we as a as a church should be praying about. Not just the ones of us who are parents, the whole church should be praying about these things. We should be committed to these ideas that the children are important. There are other ways we could be a part of this. Perhaps uh... serving in the nursery i know that the nursery uh... does not have a whole lot of people working in the nursery largely not completely but largely it's people who have children who go to the nursery and they kinda take turns and so it's really just more of a co-op type thing that they have as opposed to something where the church is providing a service for them Uh, perhaps there are some of us sitting in this room right now who could serve in the nursery i'm sure that don heitman would be more than happy to hear from you, that you would love to serve in the nursery and be a part of serving the children of our congregation in that way. That being said, I said before that, you know, the goal isn't to do this just so that the church might grow, but we would like the church to grow for sure, and, and it will be appealing to families with children if we have these things. And that would be a good thing. We would like that. But but we must remember that the number one plan for church growth is this two-step plan throughout the Bible. Be fruitful and multiply and train up your children in the Lord. That is what must be our primary plan. We teach our children the gospel. We open the pages of scripture to them. We immerse them in the pages of scripture so that they know Jesus as their Savior, that they love Jesus as their God, and that they worship him all the days of their life. One of the other implications of this is is kind of our attitude toward children in that uh, many churches kind of think of their children, at least theologically speaking, they think of them as outsiders. They think of them as little pagans in their midst. That need conversion. Now, uh, our view should be different. What I would argue is a biblical view, and is the traditionally reformed view, is that those children in our midst, that are that are our baptized children, covenant children, we call them, are members of the covenant community, and not just kind of quasi members, not just partial membership with a kind of a a trial membership and we might kick you out. It's not like a probationary period or something. They are full members of the community. They are in. And we should trust that God is at work in their lives even now. We should not be geared so much toward the evangelism and conversion of these children. We should rather think of them as members of the community who need to be discipled. And we should hope and pray that the children in our midst would all, as they grow into a young adulthood and ultimately adulthood, would be able to say that they never remember a day when they did not trust in Christ Jesus as their Lord. Now you say, well, is that possible? Is that, is that really possible? Don't they have to pray a prayer at some point or make a decision at some point? I, I would assert to you that the Bible speaks of of a faith that can date back to our earliest days. For instance, in Psalm 71, we read, For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from before my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually of you. And in Psalm 22, we read, You are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. You see, the God of the Bible speaks of those who who trust in him, even before they know what it is to trust in him. It is not a matter of us being able to develop an understanding that comes to a point of being able to comprehend things. See, what gets in the way of us believing in Christ Jesus, what gets in the way of us trusting in God through Christ Jesus, what gets in the way of us having faith isn't the fact that our minds are underdeveloped. It's not the fact that we don't quite understand yet. What gets in the way is our sinful nature, a sinful nature that we are born with, that the psalmist tells us we are conceived with. And so it is that when we do receive Christ Jesus and the salvation that he brings by faith, this is not something that we have figured out, but it is a gift that God has given us. This is the gospel. It is a gospel of grace. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is a gift from God. And just as you could, you could give a, a baby, you could give them a gift of a million dollars if you had it. <laughs> I couldn't give a gift of a million dollars, but, but somebody could give a baby a gift of a million dollars. That baby would have no idea what exactly that gift is. They might not even know that they had that gift. But that doesn't change the fact that they've received it. And so it's possible for our children to be recipients of this gift of faith before they can even articulate it. We should trust that that's the case. Now, the day might come where they prove that they don't have it, where they they show that they are without faith altogether. And if that is the case, we will shed tears. We will lovingly pursue them as those who were members of the covenant community that have wandered away like the prodigal son who has gone off. And we will hope and pray and look for them to return and we will, we will show them the love of Christ, but we will trust in this day that our children are being brought up in the Lord. To so such belongs the kingdom of God. You see, these are familiar words, familiar ideas that Jesus has spoken of elsewhere. He he tells us this, and verse 15, truly I say to you, it's a it's kind of a this truly I say to you is a phrase that that adds emphasis. He's trying to get your attention. It's a phrase that he also used back in John 3 that deals with a similar topic. In John 3, there's a, a man named Nicodemus. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him and Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born again he cannot see the kingdom of God and Nicodemus said to him how can a man be born when he is old you see he didn't understand this makes no sense I mean we, we in our day have this understanding this term born again but to Nicodemus this seemed odd and Jesus answered truly truly I say to you unless one is born of water And the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Later on, he goes on to say, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the son of man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. You see, Jesus says, you need to be born again. You need to become like a child. Well, how do we do this? What exactly does he mean? Quickly, he means a number of things. but Primarily, it's instead of being powerful and self-reliant, like we often seek to be, we need to be weak and helpless. Just the previous chapter, Mark 9, as they're coming to Capernaum, Jesus was ahead of them and they came to him and he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? You know, kind of like you hear the kids whispering in the back seat. What are you guys saying? That's what Jesus says here. But they kept silent for on the way they had argued with each other about who would be the greatest. (laughs) I'm the best. You're the best. I'm the best. I'm the best. You know, that's, that's the kind of argument they had. It's not unlike we might have with two children in the back seat but these are the disciples they've argued about this and so Jesus calls them to himself he calls them to himself the twelve are gathered around him and we read he took a child and put him in the midst of them and taking them in his arms he said to them whoever receives one such child in my name receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me that was in Mark 9 Today's text, all the way down in Mark 10. (laughs) It's incredible. How did they forget this? I mean, it's just right after it. Well, they forgot it the same way we do. The same way we do. Every time we sin, we forget the blessings of God. We forget the promises of God. We forget the instruction of God. We forsake it. We turn away and follow instead our own devices that's exactly what the disciples did there. And I tell you what, they'll do it again, just like we will do it again. Because in chapter 10, we read verses 13 to 16, right? But, but not long after that, after chapter 9's argument about who would be the greatest and ch- after Jesus' tender correction of them there and then into chapter 10 with his indignant rebuke of the disciples for what they were doing and him showing them uh, that, that children were to be highly, highly thought of and esteemed, and that we must enter into the kingdom like them or not enter at all. What happens just verses later in verse 35 of chapter 10? And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said, Grant us to sit, one at the right hand and one at your left, in glory. <sighs> if you're Jesus, don't you just have to be frustrated at this point? <laughs> don't you just have to be frustrated? And you know what? As Jesus looks at my life and how I constantly forget his lessons, don't I have to? doesn't he have to be frustrated? And so it is. We must understand that we follow this Messiah, who is a crucified Messiah. We must take up our cross as well and follow him. We must not try to be powerful and self-reliant. We must not try to get the, the place of honor. We must not try to try to assert ourselves. This is hard for us all, especially hard for Americans. You know, we, we are a people who are. You know, the American way is to demand our own rights and proclaim, don't tread on me. And yet we follow one who set aside all his rights and said, I came to die. We must decide, will we really follow him? You see, we won't be prestigious, we won't be important if we do, but we need to not be prestigious and important. We need to be unimportant. Like a child, we need to not look for the place of honor, but rather give that to others. Be like little children. Come to Jesus helpless, looking for his grace for the forgiveness of sins. On August 16, 1948, in New York City, Babe Ruth having just passed away, was laid to rest. He uh, was placed in state at Yankee Stadium and for two days, mourners passed by. Over 100,000 people came by the casket to pay their final respects. They stood in line for hours in the rain, through the night, many with little children with them. And a reporter asked one such man who was carrying with him his infant child, why are you subjecting your infant child to this? Why have him out in this line? Why go through the difficulty of, of standing in line all this time for something he won't remember, for something he doesn't understand? And the man said, someday my child will be able to say he saw the greatest baseball player who ever lived. I was thinking about that as I thought about these parents who brought their children to Jesus. As neat as it would have been to see Babe Ruth, how much neater would it be able to say to your children... You know, back when you were a little baby, you don't remember this, but there was this day. There was this day that Jesus came to town and I took you to Jesus. I took you to Jesus and I placed you in his arms and he held you and he hugged you and he loved you and he blessed you and his favor and his love and his grace was poured out upon you on that day. What a blessing that would be. What a wonderful truth that would be. How incredible that would be to be able to make that claim. Brothers and sisters in Christ. If you trust in Jesus for salvation, you too can make that claim. For Jesus has loved you. He has held you in his arms. He has held you tight to his breast. He has blessed you. His favor and his love and his grace have been poured out on you. Because he receives us too, just like a little child. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Please pray with me. Our Lord, we thank you for your tenderness and your love, your gentleness and your mercy. We thank you that we can as little children climb up in your lap as it were. That we can be comforted in your arms. And not only can we do that but there is no other way to come to you. There is no other way that we might be members of your kingdom. We cannot come Proud and strong and mighty and important, but rather must come as lowly children, bringing nothing in our hands, no merit, no inherent goodness, but only that goodness which you have given us by your grace, that righteousness with which you have clothed us. We give thanks for that, for it is the only way by which we can be saved. And so we give glory to God, in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Please rise now and sing with me our closing hymn, hymn number 185.